Good to see you on a sunny, cold, beautiful uh, winter morning. I want to say welcome not only to those of you who are in the house with us, but the many of you who I know are uh, watching online with us. I want to say welcome to you as well. If you happen to be new to New Life, my name is Chris. I am one of the pastors here at New Life. And again, just lovely to see you here on this beautiful, crisp winter morning. Uh, we are in a series, if you haven't been here, called uh, Lament, Finding Hope in the Rubble. And we've really just kind of been unpacking this idea of uh, the reality is most of us have had uh, a rough year. Uh, 2020 was rough for most of us. Uh, I'm not an exception to that. There's a lot of challenges that most of us encountered, obstacles that we had to jump over, things that we're still, still processing even now into 2021. And I know it's been a, a rough season for, for most in our church family. And so we're really just kind of asking the question in this series, God, what, what do you have? Do you have a word for your people during the storms of life? Like, God, do you have a way, a process for your sons, for your daughters to walk through the really challenging times, the really doubt-filled times in, in life? And the answer that we're finding is that, that yes, absolutely he does. And so the question that I just really kind of want to start off with this morning is this. When life, when life goes sideways for you, all right, so, so when things just aren't working out the way that you hoped they would with your, your job, your career, your finances, your, a particular relationship that's been a strain, uh, some other kind of maybe a health conflict or something like that, when something goes sideways in your life, who or what do you trust in? Where do you run? Now, I'm not asking, hey, do you know the, the churchy answer, right? We all know the churchy answer, right? Oh, Jesus, God, the Bible, right? But practically speaking, when things go sideways, when the hard stuff hits the fan in your life, where do you go? Where, where do you run in those seasons? Now, I, I'm just telling you, when those things come into my life, I want to trust God. I really do. And I'm guessing that most of you would say the same thing. That's, that's probably, that's why you're here. That's why you're tuned in online. You're here because you want to trust God. But if we're being honest, it can be really hard sometimes, can't it? Because the reality is sometimes we can't see, sometimes we can't understand what God is up to, what he's doing in our lives, and so it can be frustrating, and at times we can even wonder, God, can I trust you? Because it seems like I'm in this crisis, I'm in this season of suffering, and I'm crying out to you, and I'm praying, and I'm trying to trust you, God, but you're not coming through. And so God, I'm not, I'm not sure, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like I can really trust you right now in the moment. And so what ends up happening for a lot of us is that over time we say with our mouth that we believe in God, but when the hard stuff hits the fan in our life, we oftentimes actually trust in other things. And oftentimes we run to other things as our source of trust in those seasons. And I think, listen church, I think that's a mistake particularly for those of us who, who claim to be followers of Jesus, I think it's a costly mistake. And I think it's one that many of us, I hope, will begin to turn from beginning today. In the 1800s, there was a, a man named Charles Blondine. We've got a picture of him. He was one of the first tightrope walkers, right? So some of you guys have probably watched these things on, on TV or YouTube. He was known as the daredevil of Niagara Falls. 
And this is before the days of YouTube where you could just kind of sit around and watch these things in your living room. You actually had to come out. So he, he, he drew these massive crowds that would come out and, and watch him. And so he kind of started out his act just, just like that. He just kind of walked across this tightrope that was, you know, hundreds or thousands of feet above Niagara Falls. And, and just all it would take would, would be one misstep, one kind of stiff breeze that would kind of knock him off and he would pl- for sure plummet to his death. And if you're like me, someone who's afraid of heights, that j- just looking at stuff like that gives me like sweaty, sweaty palms. I get a little, heart rate goes up a little bit. But so, so he started that, but then he, w- he decided he wanted to up the ante to keep the crowds coming back. He couldn't just do the same thing because it's like, man, I already seen him do that. Get kind of bored. And so the next thing he did was he, he, he got somebody to blindfold him. And so he would, he would walk across the Niagara Falls with a blindfold. So then he decided, well, I need to up the ante even more, and he puts on stilts. Can you imagine that? So he walks across Niagara Falls on stilts. Just nuts, right? This guy's insane. And, and then to top it all off, he then, one time, he, he gets out to the middle, and he, he squats down on the wire, and he cooks an egg. He eats an omelet for breakfast on the middle of the wire. True, true story. All right, so he's, he's constantly upping the ante. The crowds are huge. You're like, man, this guy's insane. This guy can do anything. This is incredible. And so finally, like his penultimate trick, right, he gets a wheelbarrow, right? And so he kind of crosses, and this huge crowd, they're cheering him on. He's got this wheelbarrow, right? And he kind of gets across the other side. Then he comes back to the crowd. The crowd's going nuts. They're like, yeah, Charles, yeah, Charles, you can do anything. And so he's like, hey, do you guys believe I could put somebody in the wheelbarrow and cross to the other side? They're like, yeah, you could do anything, man. You're awesome. They're going crazy. And then he asks a question. You already know what it is, don't you? I need to volunteer. And the crowd that was in a roar dies down and it's silent. And you can hear a pin drop. And finally, one brave man, one brave soul said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he gets in, they kind of get halfway across and, and, a, and a stiff breeze comes in and it kind of tips and the guy falls off, plummets to his death. No, just kidding. That, that, didn't, that, didn't, that, didn't, that didn't happen. He actually got to the other side. Every, everything was fine. It was a really cool story. But see, here, here, here's the point. Here's the point. There's a difference in believing in something and trusting in something. There's a huge difference in believing in something intellectually and trusting something with your soul, deep down in your heart and in your bones. And I believe God wants to take some of us from belief to trust today. Because the reality is, belief is really easy standing on the shore watching somebody else do it But in God's kingdom, trust is where true life is found. It's in the wheelbarrow over Niagara Falls. That's what following Jesus is akin to. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and head for Psalm 46. Psalm 46, that's where we're gonna park together this morning as we've talked about lament in case you've missed the last couple of weeks. Lament is just a word that means a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Really simple, right? That's our working definition. Lament is a prayer in pain that does not lead to despair, it actually leads to trust. And so we've said there really are, there are four parts of a biblical lament. We've worked through the first three. Today is the fourth part, my favorite part. So the four parts of a lament, one is coming to God. In other words, in the tough seasons of life, we don't run from God, we run to God. That's one of the characteristics of a follower of Jesus. Things get tough, we don't run away from God, we come to God. Step number two in a lament is pouring out our pain. And a lot of people kind of grew up in church feeling like this was disrespectful. 
but the, the scriptures are full of us pouring out very raw, very real, very frustrating emotions to God and saying, God, I know that you are not uncaring. I know that you are not unloving, but golly, it sure feels in the moment like you are those things. And just being really honest with our, with our pain to, with, with, with God. Then the third element is, is asking for help. It's saying, it's saying God, I, I, I'm lost without you. God, I need, God, please, please show up. If you, God, if you don't show up, I, I'm, I'm toast. Like, I, I'm, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead woman. I need you. God, would you please show up? I need you. And that's the third part of a biblical lament. And then the fourth part, what we're going to look at today, my favorite part, is uh, a declaration of trust that says, hey, even though I don't see, even though it doesn't make sense to me right now, even though I can't, I can't feel your presence in the pain right now, still I know who you are, I'm clinging to your character, and I will declare my trust in you, come hell or high water. And it's this beautiful declaration that actually leads us to hope and freedom, even in difficult times as we're gonna see. Now some Bible scholars believe that Psalm 46 was written in 701 BC. So for you Old Testament historical Bible nerds, you know what that means. 701 BC, that's when the Assyrian army came to, in to destroy Jerusalem. Now, you gotta know this about the Assyrian army. They, they were the most, it was kind of like this competition between the Assyrians and the Babylonians who could be like the most wicked people. Uh, they, they both were pretty bad. The Syrians were worse. Uh, they, were the, they were the most bloodthirsty, evil military power may, maybe the world has ever seen, right? They didn't just conquer nations. They absolutely brutalized. They invented uh, per, or maybe perfected torture. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was bad. Again, don't want to mention all the things they did. We got kids in here. We don't want them to have nightmares. But they were bad, evil, evil people, right? So if that's the, if that's the likely setting of Psalm 46, this little psalm has much to teach us about trust in God when the odds seem to be stacked against us. Anybody out there feel like the odds are stacked against you today? Anybody out there feel like the odds have been stacked against you at some point in the recent past? Man, my, my hand is up. I've, I've felt that weight in the, in the past. And so if that's where you're at, if you're coming out of that season, I think God's got a, a hopeful word for us here in Psalm 46. Let's go ahead and dive in, starting in verse one. This is what the psalmist writes. This is beautiful. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, selah, which just means pause and reflect on what I've just said. Now, this psalm, just so you know, is broken up into three primary movements. So we're going to read each of those primary movements in the psalm. Then I'm going to give you one application for each movement. I'm going to give you a big idea at the end, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, to conclude our time. Now, the truth is, we, we could definitely stop after these first three verses, read them a couple of times. We could have the band come back up and sing, and I, I think leave encouraged. I mean, that's how powerful the first few verses of this psalm are. In fact, Martin Luther, many of you know, he's kind of considered the father of the Protestant Reformation. He actually wrote a hymn based on this psalm, Psalm 46. Some of you may have grown up in church singing this hymn. It's called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In fact, it's said of Luther that whenever he was depressed or distressed, he would, call, he would invite all of his friends over to his house, he'd bring them in, and he would say, let us sing the 46th Psalm together, and then let the devil do his worst. 
That's how much confidence and trust that this psalm inspired in Martin Luther. And I'm praying that it inspires that same level of trust in many of you this morning. So let's, let's read that together again, the first three verses. But this time, I want to invite you to read it aloud with me. So even if you're at home, if you're sitting in your living room with your spouse, read this aloud with your kids. If you're in the room, let's read this together. Let this be our declaration together, okay? Starting in verse one, I wanna hear your voices. Here we go. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Silla. Now the psalmist is saying here that God doesn't just provide refuge and strength for his people. He's saying God is refuge and strength for his people. When the earth seems to be giving way, when the waters roar and foam around us, when the mountains feel like they're about to cave into the ocean of our lives, when the Assyrian army comes to invade and destroy, he is our shelter. Now, here's what the psalmist is trying to say here. And if you're taking notes, and, and by the way, everybody knows that note takers get bigger crowns in heaven. If you didn't know that, that's somewhere in the Bible. So if you want a big crown, go ahead and start taking notes. Write this down if you're a note taker and you want a big crown. Application number one, trusting God means, number one, big one, rejecting the fear of man. To trust God you first have to learn how to reject the fear of man. Now notice all of this language that the psalmist is using here, uh, all these undertones of the earth falling away from under our feet and, and mountains caving into the ocean, all of this is imagery of chaos, of war, pain, of destruction due to a big, scary, evil army. In other words, it's fear of man, it's fear of people and what people can do to us. Now, you got to understand, back in those days, there was, there was nothing that struck more terror into people than hearing that the Assyrian army was on their way. In fact, history tells us that some kingdoms, some nations, would actually surrender before they ever fought the first battle with the Assyrians. They were so terrified. They're like, yeah, we know you're going to come in, and you're going to enslave our people and take our wives and our kids. It doesn't matter, man. We're just scared of y'all. We're, we're not even going to fight you. That's how feared they were. Now, how many of you know that the fear of men is still a very real thing today? Now, we may not have an Assyrian army breathing down our neck, but I'm telling you, the fear of men is something that absolutely grips the lives and the hearts and the thoughts of many of us today. I have to admit to you today that I have some of that disease in me. I do. I wish I could say, man, I get up here every single Sunday with just this ferocious boldness and, and I don't think about the consequences of what I'm about to say or I don't think about this guy who might send me an email if I word it something this way or this lady might send me a text message if I word something this way. I, I wish that I could say that that's not true about me. But it's not because here, here's the reality. I, I want people to like me. I don't know if you knew that about me or not. I do. I want you to like me. I, I want to be light, but I've got some of this people pleaser disease in my DNA. And I gotta tell you the last few years, God has really been stripping me, especially the last year of that, walking through different things, different seasons of loss, pain, criticism, all of that tends to kind of strip you of the idol of people pleasing. But here's what I know to be true. A lot of us are absolutely driven by fear. 
For some of you, particularly if you're, if you're younger, you're high school, middle school, college, young, single, and, and really any age, but the fear of what others think about you can be absolutely gripping, right? It, it just can be. And what, what, will, what will my boyfriend, what will my girlfriend say if I tell him, hey, look, look I'm, not, I'm not sleeping with you until I get married. I'm gonna follow the way of Jesus, which is countercultural. It's actually the opposite of what the world tells us. But what, what, what will they say? What, will they break up with me? What will, what will my friend think if I share my story or my faith in Jesus? Are they gonna reject me? Are they gonna think, oh man, you're some kind of weird like Bible thumping, spiritual person, I can't hang out with you anymore. And so we, we kind of clam up and we kind of pretend like we're one thing when we're in church and we pretend like we're another thing when we're at school or with our friends or classmates or something like that. What will my boss think if I tell him that the day I want off every single week is Sunday because corporate worship church is something that's actually important to me? Are they gonna think I'm weird? Are they gonna begin to ostracize me at work? Others of you, you struggle in other areas of fear. Some of you live in constant fear of losing your health. I know because I talk to you. You just live in, in constant fear. You're, you're just paralyzed by fear that you're gonna lose your health, man. And that, that kind of just dominates your thoughts, man. And so every time you get a little tickle in your throat, you're like, oh man, I got corona. It's gonna take me out. I'm gonna go see Jesus. Your toe starts hurting. Oh man, I knew, I knew I probably had cancer in my foot. You get a headache, you're on Google and you, got, you figure out the 10 different brain tumors that you got. And you just live in constant fear, man, that the next ache is gonna be the beginning of the end for you. There are others of you who, man, your, your primary fear, the one thing that drives you is just the fear of not having enough money. So even as a follower of Jesus, man, you just, you just kind of live a stingy life. Because the idea of being generous or being sacrificial with your money in God's kingdom, man, that just scares the mess out of you. And you think, man, if I start giving a percentage, 5%, 10%, 12%, 15% to the Lord, man, what, what's gonna happen to me? Can I even trust God with that? And I'm convinced, man, there are some of you that are missing out on all kinds of blessings that God wants to give you, but it's because your life is defined by fear. Fear in your finances, fear in your relationships, fear over your health. And I just want to say, hey, hey listen, if, if you're a son or daughter of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, I think what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to us through Psalm 46 is stop. I love you, but stop. God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our very present help in times of trouble. Stop living in fear. Fear is not the identity of the son or daughter of God. And so rejecting these natural human fears, I believe, is step one to learning how to really and truly trust God. And so when those thoughts begin to creep into your mind, as they do in my mind consistently, man, I can't, I can't stop living with my girlfriend. I can't stop living with my boyfriend. What if, what if they break up with me? I mean, I, I, can't, I, can't, write that, I can't write that check. And I, I, got a car, I got a car payment. And can, can I just tell you, for just personally, just being transparent time, Cheryl, Cheryl and I write several checks a month. And a, I'm just telling, being honest, a couple of them feel big to us. I know to some of you high rollers out there, probably, probably nothing. To me, they feel, they feel pretty big. And, and I, would just, I would, listen, I would be lying to you 
if I, if I said to you that sometimes when I sit down to write those checks, maybe oftentimes when I sit down to write those checks, these little voices didn't start appearing in my mind. That say, hey man, you know, if you just, uh, if you just skip one month, man, you could, you could pay off your car earlier. And doesn't God want you to be debt free? I mean, isn't that, God, isn't that honoring to God? So why, why don't you just hold back? Why don't you just hold back a little bit for a little while? Because that actually would, would help you in God's economy. Or man, man, if I just kept back like half of this, I just gave 5% instead of 10%, then, then man, I, instead of taking my, my family on, on vacation to South Carolina, man, I could take them to the Caribbean. We could finally go to Disney World. I just, take, just cut back a little bit. Or another little voice would kind of pop up, man, and Chris, if you don't save this, man, the economy could tank, the giving could go down at church, your kids are gonna go hungry. You're being irresponsible, man, by giving it this much away. You should be take, holding some back. You should be saving it. This is, this is irresponsible. And I'm just telling you, man, those, those thoughts creep into my mind consistently. Listen, as a believer, when those thoughts that are from the enemy begin to creep into our mind, what we do is we cling to the promises of God like we find in Psalm 46. Because the reality is, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, God is your strength. Not the approval of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And we say, listen, God is my help in seasons of trust, not my health. Trust means killing or reject, learning how to reject all of these fears that can come against us and try to control us and manipulate us and get us off course from where God has us going in his kingdom. And so that's step one is you really wanna trust God, man. You've got to learn how to reject fear, especially the fear of man. Now let's move into the, the second movement of the psalm in verse four. It says this, there is a river. I love this, is beautiful. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. He's talking about his presence among his people. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now the psalmist here is painting a picture of contrast for us. And he's saying, listen, the nations may rage. The nations may war. Everything around us may see like, seem like a, a violent ocean, a violent sea. And isn't that true even today, 3,000 years later? Man, we turn on the news and it seems like it's nothing but bad news. Day after day, week after week, month after month, Wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and ice storms in Texas and pandemics and disease and viruses and death. And the psalmist is saying, yeah, that's true of the world. It's broken. It's not the way God intended it to be. It's broken, but that's the way the world is. But he goes, he goes listen, that's what the world is like, but I want you to know what God is like. He says, God is like a calm river. It's like a calm river that flows through the middle of a city. And this city is a, a picture for, for Jerusalem or, or God's people, us. And the psalmist is saying, listen, when the world rages around you, when kingdoms totter, when it seems like everything is out of control, God's presence is like a perfectly calm, life-giving river full of life and provision. It's like a moat of protection right in the middle of the chaos for his sons and his daughters. I like the way uh, 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 Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner put it. I'll, I'll put this on the screens for you. Kidner writes this. 
about this passage. With God, waters, the waters are no longer menacing seas, but a life-giving river. I like that. That's the kind of God that I want to follow with my life. Because this is a stunning picture of what God's presence does in the middle of a broken and torn up world. And so here's the second application, right? Trusting God means not only rejecting the fear of man, but number two, learning how to seek after God's presence. Because, listen friend, the reality is without God's presence in our lives, we have no power. We have no power, we have no comfort, we have no peace, and if you're anything like me, you just kinda sort, sort of start to drift into patterns of selfishness and fear. And so even for those of us who are followers of Jesus, man, we have, we have given our lives, we have placed the full weight of our lives in Jesus, we've been indwelled by his spirit. How many of you know you still have to practice the discipline of seeking his presence on a daily basis? And can, can I just tell you that I, I, I can tell a massive difference in my own life on the days where I, I kind of separate and I kind of carve out some time where I can kind of put my phone away in another room so I don't hear it buzzing or beeping or distracting me and just get alone with God and read his word, pray, meditate on what I've just read and be quiet and just hear God speak back to me. I can tell a huge difference in my life, my mood, my disposition on days where I practice that discipline and on days where I feel like I'm too busy to do it. Just a massive, massive difference in my life. And you know who else can tell a difference in my life? My wife. She can tell a big difference in my life as well. And I promise you, that's true for you as well. We need to make it a part of our rhythm as followers of Jesus to seek out his presence, to get in his presence every day, to hear from him, to have him engage us so that we can then engage the world around us in an effective way. This reminds me of one of my favorite Psalms in Psalm 42. We'll put this on the screens for you as well. This is one that you may have on a coffee cup or a t-shirt, but I love it. It's King David and he writes this, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. He wants God's presence so desperately. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now listen, David knows God. God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. He'd been following God for years, and yet he's saying, listen, God, I am, I am like a wild animal in the wilderness that's just dying of thirst. God, if you don't show up today, today, I need your presence today, God. I'm just gonna stand here and I'm gonna die. God, I need your presence in my life. Friend, let me just ask you a question. When's the last time that you really, truly sought out God's presence? Christian, when is the last time you just put your stupid phone away or turned it off for 15 minutes, for 30 minutes, for an hour and got alone with God and let his spirit speak to your spirit and change your life. I'm guessing for a lot of you, it's been far too long. When's the last time you just slowed down enough to sit and pray and listen and hear from God? Listen, friend, learning to trust God, number one, means you gotta, you gotta reject the fear of man. And a lot of us haven't even got past step one. You gotta learn how to reject those fears. Number two, it means learning how to seek God's presence daily. And then there's a third element here. Look at the third movement in this psalm, beginning in verse eight. The psalmist writes this, come, 
He's excited at this point. Come, he's calling in the crowd. Come, behold the works of God. How he has brought desolation on the earth, how he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Now, now remember one of the likely settings for this psalm. Assyria comes, 701 BC, to invade Jerusalem. Things seem pretty hopeless if you're in Jerusalem and you see these guys coming. It's like, oh, I'm about to die, and probably in a very painful way. But you can find the story in 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament, what happens next. God's people see the Assyrian army, and they pray out to God. And they pray, God, help God, please help. God, please, please show up. God, this seems hopeless. God, God, if you don't show up, we're toast. God, please help. And God hears them. He hears their prayer of desperation, and he answers them. And listen, he, listen to this. this. This part is so cool, this story. He sends, God sends one single solitary angel. Not a legion of angels, not a dozen angels, not five angels, not even two angels. God, here's our prayer. He lifts one little finger in heaven and he sends one angel who, I want, listen, he sends one angel who then proceeds to wipe out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers right in the middle of the night. The Assyrian king wakes up. Most of his soldiers are laying there dead. He's like, oh, this is not good. And so he hightails it back to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. And so the psalmist, in this, imagine this context. You think you're dead. There's this massive army that's known for like skinning people, like all these crazy things. You're, you're terrified. You pray out to God. You wake up the next morning and the whole army's dead. Everything coming against you is wiped out. And so the psalmist is writing this and he's, saying, he's so excited. He's saying, hey guys, come and look at what the Lord has done. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God, there's, guys, there's nothing too big for God to accomplish. There's no army. There's no odds. There's no disease. There's no virus. There's no financial problem. There's no relational problem. God is bigger than all of that. And in a sense, he's given us our third application point right here. Trusting God means, number three, it means remembering and reflecting his power. God's past performance births future hope for his children. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. And can I just say, I think far too many of us in the American church today have a very puny view of God. We do. And the problem with having a really small view of God, a really puny view of God, is the puny view of God will always lead to an anemic faith. It just will. If you don't have a big view of who God is, your faith will stumble and falter and struggle all of your life. And I'm just gonna tell you because I love you, some of y'all need a bigger view of God this morning. You need a bigger view of God. Listen, God is not some, not some old white dude sitting in a rocking chair in heaven with a big, long beard, and he's really old, and if he gets up the wrong ways, he might snap something, and he's weak, and he's, that is not who God is. He's not some uninterested, far-off, distant deity that's just kind of watching us flounder through life. No, 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 no. The, the picture that the scriptures paint of God is that he is a God who is unimaginably powerful. 
and he is breathtakingly good. He is stunningly good. He is active in his creation. He engages with his people on a daily basis. Friend, listen to me. Don't ever shortchange God. He is all that you need in every circumstance and situation that you face in life. He is the solution to the troubles in your life. And then the psalmist continues in verse 10, and, and now God breaks in. He begins to speak in the first person. Listen to this. Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And I love how at the very end of this chapter, God breaks in in the first person. He's like, yeah, yeah, the first nine verses were good. Now I got something to say. I got something to say to my people. Hey, people, my sons and my daughters, be still and know I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. In other words, I will accomplish my mission with or without you. I don't need you but I want you. And it's as if he's saying, hey son, hey daughter, you're cute down there trying to fight really hard all your battles on your own. That's dumb, cute, but really dumb. I see you down there all stressed out. Son, daughter, losing sleep, crying when nobody's looking. I see you down there frustrated and striving. Hey, hey, listen, why don't you rest and let me do the fighting? Why don't you just rest and let me do the fight? Church, what, what if many of the battles we're fighting aren't ours to fight at all? What if, what if we feel like we're losing battles in life because we're fighting on battlegrounds that don't belong to us? And God is saying, hey, son, daughter, why don't you just relax? Why are you so uptight all the time? Why are you so stressed out? Why are you striving and fighting and, and trying to accomplish all these things and solve all these problems on your own? Why don't you just relax? Seek out my presence. Let me breathe life into your spirit. Why don't you remember my power through the ages and begin to trust me in the present? Now, I don't know who this is for, but I believe some of you here today, whether you're online or in person, you need to begin to lay down some of your battles this morning and turn them over to God and to begin to trust him, maybe for the very first time. It's time for some of you to get off the shore, to get in the wheelbarrow over the Niagara Falls because the reality is this, saying you believe in God is, is good. I'm glad you believe in God intellectually, but the real question is this, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you give him lip service or does your life reflect that you're in the wheelbarrow over the Niagara Falls following him because that's real trust? Talk is cheap. Let's live it out, church family. I, uh, six or seven years ago, some of you guys know I have two primary phobias in my life and many of you mock me for these and that's fine. I've got thick skin. Um, I, I have a phobia of sharks, all right? So you will not find me swimming at the beach, ankle, knee, knee deep at most, and I'll get a little nervous there. Um, and, and heights, right? And so as long as sharks don't sprout wings, I'll be all right in this, in this world, but, but sharks and, and heights. So um, 
I decided to take my wife on her, on her birthday uh, zip lining. Now, many of you um, have, there's actually this real, real cool place close by called Navitat, and they've got this zip lining tour that's, it's, it's like three hours or four hours long, super long. And um, so, so we get there, and, and I'm trying to be cool. I don't want my wife to think I'm scared, right? Because who wants to be married to a scared girly man? And so I, I'm up there, and my, my palms are, are, are sweating, and, and I'm like, man, I gotta use the bathroom again, like every five minutes. And, and, and so I'm just, I'm terrified. And we're way up there on these platforms. And, um, and so I'm trying to play it cool. And on the very first one, I'm, just, I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling you the truth. I was so scared that I just closed my eyes and screamed like a little girl. I was like, yeah! And, um, and I was ter- terrified. And actually, after the very first one, because there's like 100 of these things, they give you the option for people who are really scared to, to, to get off. You can just take a bridge, go back. And, and for like half a second, I actually considered it. I was like, that was terrifying. I'm not sure I got three hours of this in me. But then I looked at my bride and I was like, nah, nah, I'm gonna suck it up. I'm gonna do it. And so I'm just telling you, the, the longer I did it, the more I began to trust. So the second time was a little bit better. The fourth time was a little bit better. The 10th time was a lot better. And I'm telling you, by the end of this excursion, three hours in, man, I am, I am screaming, wide, eyes wide open, faster, faster, let's go. I was having the time of my life. And the point is this. This is the big idea of the whole message. Listen, trust, trust is the remedy to fear. Trust is the remedy to fear. And oftentimes, trust is developed in trouble. Not in times of ease, not when everything is going perfectly in your life. Oftentimes, trust is developed in seasons of trouble. And so, if, listen, if you're in a season of trouble this morning, I want to say, hey, listen, first of all, I'm sorry. But the second thing I want to say to you, in the same breath, is good. I'm sorry, but good. Because, listen, you now have the opportunity to grow your trust in a way that can fundamentally make you more like Jesus. And I'm just here to tell you, if there's anything that our world needs right now, it's men and women who not only believe intellectually in Jesus, but actually trust him and begin to live like him, begin to love like him, begin to serve like him, begin to live generous lives like him. That's what the world needs more of. And so brother or sister who's suffering this morning, listen, you have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make because suffering is not optional in this life. But what we do with our suffering is optional. So the question is this, will you choose to trust God or will you continue to try to fight your battles in your own meager strength and continue to lose those battles? We're gonna close with this. I love this. The apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 8 as the band comes. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He writes this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We just sang that earlier this morning. For those who are called according to his purpose. Church, do you really believe that? This is just something that you say, just something that you kind of post on your Instagram or Facebook to seem spiritual. Do you really believe that? That he's gonna work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Verse 31, then what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Can I just tell you one of my pet peeves? One of my pet peeves is Christians who don't believe that they can conquer things through the power of God. 
Because Jesus says that through his strength, we can actually, we don't, we don't just have to, have to live with these things. We can actually overcome them. We can actually conquer them through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able, listen, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, the question for you is very simple. It's this. What do you need to start trusting God for today? What area of your life are you not trusting God? Maybe intellectually you'd say, yeah, Chris, I know the Sunday school answer. Yeah, I trust God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I know the gospel. Blah, 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 blah. What area are you not putting the full weight of your trust in God for? What area do you need to get in the wheelbarrow and go out over the Niagara Falls in? What battles do you need to lay down that are, by the way, are probably not even your battles to fight in the first place? What battles are you fighting that you just need to give to God and say, God, I'm sorry I ever took this off your plate and I'm losing this battle because it's not my battle to fight, it's your battle to fight. So God, I'm gonna give it back to you and I'm gonna trust you to slay the Assyrian army. All you gotta do is send one angel and 185,000 soldiers are gonna be wiped off the face of the earth. You are so powerful, God. You are so good and you love me so much. I'm giving it back to you. What area, Christian, do you need to start trusting God for right now in 2021? And if you're with us and you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a believer, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in the room. My plea to you is would you consider trusting Jesus maybe for the very first time. Maybe it's time for you to climb into that wheelbarrow of faith. And if it's not working out really well on your own, why, listen, why not try Jesus? If it's not working well on your own, why not give Jesus a try? Why not try to trust the one who died for you so that you could begin to live for him? William Cooper, English poet in the 1700s, loved God but he struggled with deep bouts of depression. And he wrote a hymn in the 1700s called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I wanna close just by reading you a small portion of this hymn. This will be on the screens for you. Cooper writes this, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Friend, God is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of all of our trust. And so let's lean into, let's press into him in a new and a fresh way as we head into the rest of 2021. I wanna pray for us and then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. God, we come to you in my personal confession, and I think maybe our corporate confession would need to be one of repentance this morning where we say, God, we, we maybe sometimes give you lip service and we say we believe in you and we say we believe in Jesus, God, but our lives don't really reflect a deep trust in your goodness 
and your power and your sovereignty. And so God, would you, would you begin to remove those idols and those falsehoods of us believing that we can fight our own battles in our own strength, man, and, and begin to give those things to you, God? Would you begin to strip us of the fear of man and the fear of all these other things, God? Would you teach us to seek out your presence every single day, just like David, to say, God, we, we are so lost without you. If you don't show up, God, we got nothing to give. God, I'm like a deer in the desert. I'm about to starve to death. I'm about to, about to die of thirst. God, I need your presence. It's like a river of water. I need you. God, thank you that because of Jesus, because he came into this world, and he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, that he died a brutal death to pay for our sins, that he rose again on the third day to give us life and freedom, not just now, but in eternity. God, thank you that because of that, we can trust in you not just a little bit, not just with little areas of our life, but fully with our life, in our relationships and the deep hurts and the wounds and the traumas of our past, God, we can trust you with all of those things because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we thank you so much for sending Jesus on a rescue mission for us. And it's in his beautiful and his strong name that we ask and we pray all these things.